see you all here today. I trust you're having a... We are moving a little bit toward the cooler season, aren't we? Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. <clears throat> Let's take our Bibles this afternoon and turn uh, with me, please, to John chapter 15. John chapter 15, we continue... Uh, we've kind of slowed down for a bit, <clears throat> looking at uh, abiding in Christ... And uh, we're going to begin, we're going to read the same passage we did last week, John chapter 15, beginning at verse 1 through verse 11. John 15, I am the true vine, and my father is the husbandman. Every branch in me that beareth not fruit, he taketh away. And every branch that beareth fruit, he purgeth it, that it may bring forth more fruit. Now you are clean through the word in which I have spoken unto you. Abide in me, and I in you, as the branch cannot bear fruit of itself, except it abide in the vine. No more can you, except you abide in me. I am the vine, you are the branches. He that abideth in me, and I in him, the same bringeth forth much fruit. For without me, you can do nothing. If a man abide not in me, he is cast forth as a branch and is withered. And men gather them and cast them into the fire, and they are burned. If you abide in me... And my words abide in you. You shall ask what you will, and it shall be done unto you. Herein is my Father glorified that you bear much fruit. So shall you be my disciples. As the Father hath loved me, so have I loved you. Continue you in my love. If you keep my commandments, you shall abide in my love. Even as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. These things have I spoken unto you, that my joy might remain in you and that your joy might be full. May God add a special blessing to reading His Word, and let us pause for prayer prior to our study this afternoon. Father, we thank You for the opportunity we have to be with You in this place as we've lifted up your, our voices in praise and honor and worship to You in song. And Father, as we wrap our heads around the Word today, we would ask that You would especially fill us. You would encourage us. You would grant us wisdom, insight, and understanding. For the world that we find ourselves living in that has gone crazy. But it's not the first time. It may not be the last. But, Father, we know this. You are fully, completely in control. Even as those on that night, as we just read this passage of Scripture, Jesus was walking toward the Garden of Gethsemane, his last, literally his last moments with these precious 11, these apostles that had trusted themselves to him for three years. And he was about to be taken from them. And at that climax, Father, it was still amazing to see his love, his focus. And, Father, these parting words, how valuable they are even for us today. We would ask that you would guide us in truth, just as Jesus promised that when he left, that the Comforter would come and would guide guide them in all truth. Father, we also want to lift up your name for all that it is to us. And we're glorifying, Father. We would ask, again, that the Holy Spirit would exclusively be our teacher as we humbly bow before you looking with anticipation for what you will give us as we glean words of truth from the word asking you to impart them where we need them thank you for what you're going to accomplish we pray for those that are not able to be here today that you would bless them and their families and father you know what they need and wrap your arms around them and now these moments are yours as we partake of the word asking the spirit to lead us these things we ask in christ's name amen Well, this is a passage now, I think it's our third week we've been here in, this, uh, in these verses, and it's amazing that how full and rich that it really is. 
As I've said before, but it's good maybe to just, uh, again, remind ourselves of the context, uh, John is a fast-moving book until you get to John 13. Uh, John 13 through 17 literally take place on literally one evening. I'd like you to go to John 13 for just a moment, and I want you to see how it began on that night. Uh, The night the feast of the Passover was nigh, and they were having their last meal together. In that evening, John chapter 13, uh, verse 1 sets us off. Now, before the feast of the Passover, when Jesus knew that his hour was come, that he should depart out of this world unto the Father, having loved his own, which were in the world, he loved them unto the end. I, I, I think of that, and uh, he loved them to the max. There was nothing left that he couldn't have done any, any more in the sense of giving his love. It was fully abundant, fully maxed out. That's amazing to me. As you think about all of the stress, the turmoil that was going on in Jesus' life, don't misread that because, yes, Jesus was flawless. He was sinless. He was perfect. But he really took a lot of things on, didn't he? There was a whole lot of stress. In fact, you want to know about stress. When you pray next time, when you start perspiring tiny blood, uh, 20 droplets of blood, you're close to where Jesus was. Whoa. (laughs) You ever tried that? You don't need to try it. Jesus didn't even try it. It was just the level of intensity that he had as he was praying for his disciples. For even us today, if you go to John chapter 17, which we may continue on just verse at a time. And it's amazing that Jesus even prayed for us here today, for those that would come after the disciples, those that would follow Christ, which we're doing here. Isn't that amazing? Our, Our Savior prayed for us the night before he was hanging on a cross. That's maximum love. That's maxing it out. But the other thing that's interesting is there was only one person out of those 13 in the room as it began. There was only one, I'm sorry, two that knew who the fraud was. Uh, Verse 2, the supper being ended, verse chapter 13, the supper being ended, the devil having now put into the heart of Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, to betray him. To betray him. How could you... (laughs) How could you betray Jesus? When we put things of men in front of the things of God. Judas was ticked off about a lot of things. He didn't sign up for this course of following Jesus around to not get in on the good stuff. For heaven's sakes, he was looking for power, he was looking for control, he was looking for money. Well, that sounds like today. Does it not sound just like today? Sounds like that's reverberating from the halls of Congress, just down through all of the paperwork that we see for whatever media it might be. We'll give up anything to have more power. We'll give up anything to have more wealth. That is exactly what Judas Iscariot did. Now, he sold out Jesus for not very much money. Think of that, 30 pieces of silver. He sold out the Son of God. Could have he got more? Probably, but it would have never been enough. He understood that after the fact, didn't he? Think of that. On that night, as they're gathered for the last intimate time together, Jesus knew who that betrayer was. He was sitting right there. Not only that, he made him the place of honor. Oh, my goodness. Is that not a maximum savior of love? That's how this whole episode took place. It began that way, and we know that shortly thereafter that literally Satan entered into Judas Iscariot, and he left. And in verse 30, it says... 
same chapter, just turn to John chapter 13, verse 30. It says, He then, having received the sop, went immediately out, and it was night. It was really dark, wasn't it? To think of that, for Judas Iscariot to have, to, to have departed, to have left, to have not remained, that is exactly what we're talking about in chapter 15 of John, and that is to remain in the vine, to be partakers of the true vine. Jesus had said now, and again, this is it's interesting. You can see almost in Jesus' uh, mannerisms, his, his mythology on, uh, methodology on that night, he was in a hurry. He knew he needed to get where he needed to go. And you know, one of the things I was, I'm convinced that he really needed to do, he needed to be alone and pray. Jesus, the Son of God, needed to pray before he entered into the maximum, the climactic event that was going to literally finish and conquer and wipe out sin forever. Because the sacrifice would be paid. But you know what he wanted to do first? He wanted to pray. You think we should pray a little more? <laughs> I think we would pray a lot. If Jesus was here right now, what would Jesus do? I'm convinced, looking through the Gospels, you read through the Gospels, you know one thing you see him doing early in the morning, throughout the day, and then ending the day, you know what he did? Constantly was praying. He prayed a lot. He prayed all the time. And Can we ever pray too much? No. I find myself just talking to God out loud sometimes. I don't know if people hear me or not. I usually try to do it when no one else is around. But if they did, I'd say, so what? You want to listen in? It's okay. Sometimes when somebody gets on the phone and we just talk, I'm really just talking with God about them, with them. Because I don't want anyone else to know anymore. I mean, God knows everything. Isn't that the one we want to share with? Jesus was that night. He wanted to share with God. But on that, just look at chapter 14. We've done it for a couple of weeks here. But just notice this. These words in chapter 15 of John are mentioned just after verse 31 of John 14, the last verse, it said his words, but the world may know that I love the Father, and as the Father gave me commandment, even so I do. Arise, let us go hence. We got to go. We got to get in a hurry. Let's go. We got to go. We got a place to be. And the first things out of his mouth then are, I am the true vine. And the Father's a gardener. You are the branches. <laughs> he sets it all up. To unfold these last moments of understanding, and I'm sure they didn't get hardly any of it then. But there's a lot of questions even we can ask. How do we know that we're connected to Christ? How do we prove that we're a disciple? How do we prove that? If you, you know, how many people have you asked, uh, are you a Christian? Oh, yeah, yeah, I'm a Christian. Well, could, how do you, could you prove that to me? Well, I was born in America. Is that enough? <laughs> Boy, not anymore. <laughs> I'm not sure that America would even... I, I want to know if I'd put them in the same sentence right now. There are literally churches around our nation today that are not holding services because it's illegal to hold church service in America. I was too loud, but I don't care. That's crazy. Is that not what we were founded on? Is that not what the Bill of Rights is giving us? Is that what the Constitution is about? Because when the British tried to withhold God from the founding fathers of this nation. Did they not say that's the line we won't cross? Just as Peter was told not to talk about this man's name, which was Jesus. And he says, I would rather obey God than men. We're fast approaching a level in the line that when one wants to restrict our worship of our God, I would rather obey God than men. Jesus on this night, 
has gathered those disciples, and he's excited to tell them everything that they can have when they're in the true vine, being connected to him. What is a disciple of Christ? What is a Christian? I ask that question. It's literally this. It's God living in you. In fact, let's take our Bibles one more time. We did it last week, but let's look again. John chapter 14, and let's look at several verses just quickly, three of them particularly, because literally God, the Father, God, the Son, God, the Holy Spirit lives within you. Verse 17, John 14, 17. This is Jesus' words. Even the Spirit of truth, whom the world cannot receive, because it seeth him not, neither knoweth him, but you know him, for he dwelleth with you, and shall be in you. When did that happen? Acts chapter 1, when we began the beginning of the church, the Pentecost. Literally, the Spirit came and indwelt them. But it didn't stop there. Look at verse 20. At that day, you shall know, same chapter, 14, you shall know that I am in my Father, and you in me, and I in you. Verse 23. Jesus answered and said unto him, If a man love me, He will keep my words, and my Father will love him, and we will come unto him and make our abode with him. Isn't that cool? That is so awesome. You want to know if you're a Christian? Literally, if you are, God lives within you. Wow! The Old Testament, it was tough sledding. I'm going to tell you, it was tough sledding in the Old Testament. First of all, you had had to have a lot of extra animals, because if you were a sinner, you needed to use a lot more of them. I mean, you could be a rancher at a thousand cows, and how many would you need for sacrifices? In my case, it would be big. Just as the time you'd think you'd get ahead, oh, I cannot believe I did that. Okay, bring me another heifer, bring it around in here, and you give it to the priest, and we go on. And, and you know what? They did that day after day, after week, after week, after year, after year. And you know what? It never got good enough. That was why God set up the sacrificial system. It was a shadow of what was to come, literally to see that Sin is a really, really big deal. And there's nothing we can do to fix it. You could sacrifice animals till the cows come home. That was a bad pun, wasn't it? Now that I think about it. I hadn't thought about it. That's the only good thing. I hadn't thought about it. But you know what? It just made Jesus' coming even that more impressive. Because when Jesus on the cross said, It is finished, it was finished. He'd done everything that was necessary to finally, completely, once and for all, eternally wipe out the power of sin as long as one has faith and trust in Jesus Christ. And how do we know that he was right? You know, that's a big statement. Sure, he could say that. He's, he's on his last breath. His last three words are, it is finished. That's a great thought. There's a lot of men that have walked this earth that have had great and grand plans. Muhammad, Buddha, we could go on. But there's something that's different. Something that's different. That Jesus that walked and said, let's go to the garden. Well, he didn't even say it. They didn't even know where they were going. He said, let's go now. Let's go. Let's go. Let's go. Come on, pronto. Chop, chop. And then he said, I'm the true vine. And he went on all of this exhortation. And that man, that God, the God man, Emmanuel, God with us. Now it's God in us. Because something happened that was miraculous, outstanding, tremendous. It's never been equaled. And if that hadn't happened, I wouldn't be here today. I've got so much enthusiasm because Jesus Christ rose from the dead. And I'm not even going to get a single amen out of that, am I? (laughs) I'm telling you, that's fantastic. God said, you know what? Not only was it right that Jesus said it's finished, I'm going to put my mark and stamp of approval on it. 
Because when he raises from the dead, which I said would happen from the way back when, that's going to prove it. And Jesus appeared to up to 500 at a time, which we're still living in, 1 Corinthians, when Paul wrote that book. There's nothing, to, there's nothing that's not documented. That's the Jesus that's given me these words to the disciples now. And he says, I want you to know the benefits of abiding in me. And they're just as valid for us today. There are benefits to abide in Christ. And abiding means just the opposite of what Judas did. If you want to see the uh, antithesis of abiding, it's the one that left early in the evening. Judas Iscariot. Satan entered into him and he's gone into the dark. We have a dark world today too, don't we? It's a dark world. Those that don't remain in Christ have left. And 1 John chapter 2, verse 19, written by the same apostle John who wrote the gospel, said, they left, they went out from us because they were never of us. He knew Judas is carried after the fact. He was never part of them. And you know, it was interesting. Those 11 disciples had not one single clue of who Jesus was talking about when he said, behold, one of you will betray me. And they looked around and said, who could that be? As I said last week, uh, if they were going to do, a, if you, you know, polls are just pretty, pretty much worthless. Would you not agree? Who cares what the majority thinks? I don't really care because if you're not on God's side, it doesn't matter. Remember the 12 to 2 or the 10 to 2 thing? That should have certainly won. The, the majority should have won that one. He said, should we go into the land? Remember that Moses, he sends out one from each tribe, make it nice and even. So we have 12 spies. They Prince Prance go across the, the land of Canaan and they come back and say, oh, it's fantastic. I mean, you know, have you seen those pictures as your little kids in Sunday school? You know, they can't really hold one cluster of grapes. You know, they're just monstrous. You know, it's fantastic. I, I still, there's still vivid pictures of these huge, I'm saying, what is that? Oh, those are grapes. Wow, those are big ones. Did they sell them by the berry? <laughs> and that's what's growing in Canaan. And then the question was asked, shall we go up? And 10 of them said, oh, no. I mean, it's a mountain of milk and honey. But you can't believe how big these guys are. We look like grasshoppers in their sight. And two, I wonder what their name. Oh, their names were what? Caleb and Joshua. They said, let's go because God is with us. And he has promised this is where we need to go. That's good enough, isn't it? Have faith. Fear is absolutely useless. I wish I could ring that bell across America today. Fear is useless. If you're fearful today, it is useless. On yes, you're fearing an almighty God with reverence and respect as we never really probably had in a long time. I wish not only that we, we keep asking God to bless America. No, America, please bless God. Let's return back to our maker. Let's return back to our creator. Let's return back to the one that literally gave us freedoms. We now, have you noticed, for myself, I'm now beginning to appreciate the freedoms that I've enjoyed. They're starting to stick out. Why? Because we're losing them. They're taking them away at an alarming rate. There was a peaceful protest yesterday, I believe it was, in San Francisco. They were protesting the Twitter censoring of what would look like to be truth. That's happened not, that's not the first time that truth has been censored. It probably won't be the last time, but see, in America now, we don't even want to know about truth. And they were attacked by Antifa. Hundreds came and literally beat them up. 
having a peaceful protest. What's gone wrong? A lot. But America needs to return to God before we can get it right. Those 10 to 2, now there's a poll. Wouldn't that be something? Who's going to win this one? Well, of course, the 10 won, and they really lost. They really lost. That's the problem with a democracy. If the mob is right, game on. If the mob is wrong, <laughs> it's all over. The only way we can get it right is to be on God's side. Find out where God is and get in his way. Be right there where he's at. And Jesus is really saying that. Stay connected to me. Stay with me. Abide in me and I in you. So, you know, last week, did you know, does it, those of you that were here last week, do you know how many of these we got through? Sort of two. Yeah, it wasn't even two. It was, it was kind of like one and then one we started. And I didn't tell you this last week. There's six components of the second one. Oh, goodness. You said, oh, how about that? Yeah. And there's actually a total of six that we need to go through. So we need to get going, don't we? Well, the first thing, and we won't, we won't linger on the first one particularly. We spent a lot of time last week. But the one key benefit, and this is where it all starts, if you're abiding in Christ, that you're remaining in him, you're getting all of your lifeblood from him, that literally God is living within us, that means you're connected, you have salvation. Salvation, to be saved from your sin. Salvation that lasts for eternity because it's based upon eternal life. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. And something interesting about eternal life, you know, sometimes we look at that as being in the future. The day that you trust Jesus Christ as Savior, you have just now started eternal life. You have a possession of it now. You are a possessor of it right now. Having the life of God in you. The second one, the second benefit, and that was really brief. You know how long it took us last week to get through that one? Most of the service, wasn't it? But it's a really big deal. The second one we find is what he's talking about in John 15, and that is fruitfulness. Fruitfulness. Tell me about fruit. Anything about fruit? You want to talk about fruit? You don't want to talk about fruit. It's good. What makes it good? Good for you. Tastes good. Has seeds. In other words, there's life in the fruit, isn't there? There's more life for more fruit. What is fruit the proof of in the sense of, again, what is a Christian? What is a disciple? What is one that's abiding? Someone of which literally God indwells, is living within. What is fruit in regards to that? It's proof. It's proof that that person is abiding. It's proof that that person is a believer. Fruit literally is a proof of abiding. Well, there's, again, we're going to keep moving. One we mentioned last week is, let's talk about some of the fruit that happens when we are abiding in Christ. One of the things we talked about is the fruit of repentance. And that sounds so not fruity, doesn't it? doesn't sound like it should be a lot of fun. How many of you get up and go, boy, I hope I get to repent today. <laughs> There's not a lot of laughter going on. It's like, that's, Larry, you're crazy. You've lost your mind. But you know what? Really, when the fruit of repentance is in your life, that means God is, you're really connected to God because that means the Holy Spirit is using his word 
the Word of Christ, in the beginning was the Word, the Word was with God, and the Word was God. That Word, literally, the Word incarnate, Jesus Christ, the Son of God, Emmanuel, God with us, that Word, and we have the Bible today. And when the Holy Spirit uses the Word in our lives, guess what just blows out in those glowing red letters are those sins that we need to deal with. Thankfully, He doesn't name them all. Wouldn't that be a depressing thing? Whoa, it'd be a roomful. He just kind of usually hits them one at a time, doesn't he? Now, if you don't respond, if you don't make a choice to deal with the one, you know what? It just keeps boing, boing, boing. After three years, it's so loud. It's so, right? Well, we try to put it in another room. (laughs) Is Jesus welcome in your heart in every room? Boy, he wants to be every place because that's the way he really works the best with us. It's to know what's in our house. He wants to know what's everything's going on. That's abiding, isn't it? Or do you keep some of your rooms closed? Oh, there's a lot of things. Jesus, no, you wouldn't want to go in there. In fact, I wouldn't want you to go in there. There's things in there that you don't really need to see. I mean, that, that I really don't want to share with you. Is that how our life is? Is it compartmentalized? Some people go to church on Sunday, and that's just a compartment day. And then the rest of the week is lived very unaccustomed or unaccording to what we did in church. That's not how Jesus was, was he? Did he live differently on any given day? No, he didn't. That's what I like about Jesus. He was the real deal every single day. He was the real deal. (laughs) Anybody that didn't get that didn't listen very much, did they? He got right to the heart of the matter. Look at that Sermon on the Mount, chapter 5 through 7 of Matthew. Whoa, Stockapod getting their face. This was the inaugural speech. We went through this some weeks ago. Whoa, you talk about get their attention. He went right to the heart of the matter. He didn't start off slow. He just hit them right where it was because that's how Jesus is. He wants you to know right out of the box it's a sin problem. It's a heart problem. We've got to get that right. That's who Jesus is. Yeah, he's something, isn't he? He's something. Now, how many of you have been repenting or maybe the better word would be remorseful, not over sin itself, but the consequences of sin. I've been watching. It's, it's funny if you watch the news long enough. There's people that all of a sudden become very sorry because they got caught. <laughs> it has nothing to do with the fact of what was being engaged in. It was the fact they got caught. I'm so sorry I got... I mean, I'm so... I'm, I'm so I'm, oh, I wish I wouldn't have got caught. <laughs> right? And we've all had a little bit of that in us, but we're not talking about that. We're talking, God, right now, the, Jesus is literally saying, you should have an incredible resentment and resistance to sin. In fact, I'm going to call this sin-resistant fruit. Sin-resistant fruit. And when you have that spirit within you, and you know what, and, and when God just touches you, Larry... Or you need to get rid of that. And I say, anybody say something? I didn't see that. I didn't hear that. <laughs> but it's amazing. It doesn't go away. Larry, Larry, that needs to go away. You need to trust me with that. You need to trust me with that. See, I want to prune that off because that's of no value. You're using energy out of your life to literally just throw energy away. I want to use that energy to get more fruit. So, Larry, Larry. Larry. In fact, Hebrews talks about it. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12. It just popped in my mind. It's, I think this is really, it's, it's amazing. You know, it's sometimes not just one, but there's one at a time. One at a time. Hebrews chapter 12. Let's look now at verse 1. And Hebrews 12 makes so much in its beginning about Hebrews 11, the hall of faith. 
I don't know if, you know, how many of you would have, living in the Old Testament, would, you, would, would have you made Hebrews chapter 11? Wow, what a deal, huh? Talk about faith and power. All without knowing Jesus' name, let alone knowing who he was. Uh, 12, chapter 12, verse 1, Hebrews. Wherefore, seeing we also are compassed or surrounded about with so great a cloud of witnesses. Watch this. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which doth so easily beset us. And let us run with patience the race that is set before us. You see what sin does to it? It's like, how would you like to get up in the morning and you're feeling good, feeling really good? Ready to go. You're going to get some, what do you guys like to eat in the morning? Eggs and bacon or waffles or oatmeal or all of the above or? Starts with coffee. And, you know, the cool thing is uh, Hebrews is that book for men. Hebrews. Jeff, did you make coffee for Leslie this morning? Oh, well, talk about get off. You got off. Ah, what a deal, right? So you made it for you. Way to go. Larry, did you make coffee this morning? No. Well, there we go. Okay. Not biblical again. <laughs> Anyway, let's get let's get out. So we start with coffee, and we eat a healthy meal, and we're ready to get out the door. We're ready to get after a job. We're excited, and you say, "Excited? Well, we should be if we really like what we do. If we're really passionate, because that's where God wants us. He wants us passionate about our work." I, I'm, I'm sometimes saddened by the fact there's a lot of young people and older people, for that matter, that have either spent their life working on something that had made more money, but they hate their job. That's, God doesn't want you to hate your job. He doesn't. You guys look like... No, I'm, I'm serious. He wants you to have passion for what you're doing. As you're abiding in Him, He wants you to have passion for your whole life. But let's, let's keep going. I'm getting off subject. If you notice, I do that once in a while. And so you're ready to hit the door, ready to go outside, and then, oh, honey, don't forget your backpack. i got to put my sin backpack on. Whew. Oh, boy, that's not as easy as it used to be. Boy, I'm ready for work now. I don't know what I look like, but I'm trying to look like I'm really, I'm really laboring, right? And how do you, would you want to go through the day that way, wearing a 100-pound backpack full of weights? No, and that's what Jesus is saying. Literally, the, he, the, the writer of Hebrews is saying this. Get rid of that that besets you. You're running the race, not just jogging. You know how sometimes you... You think about exercise just to exercise. Is it hard to get excited about just exercising? But when you're running to win a race, it's different, isn't it? That's what he's saying. Run to win. Get rid of all of that stuff, that sin that besets you, the sin that's holding you back. That's why, Larry, Larry, I want you to get rid of that right there. Trust me. Trust me. Trust me. And you know the best thing I could do is trust him. <laughs> Because when I'm trusting, I'm abiding. When I'm abiding, guess what? I'm becoming fruitful and more fruit. And then he starts, you know what? There's a little thing over here. Like we need to get rid of this right here. If we could just snip that off right there, just like that, you'd be surprised. You could, you could have much more fruit. Do I have to? <laughs> that's kind of how we are, aren't we? But that's part of it. But sin, having a repentance, a sin-resistant fruit, a sin-resistance fruit. No tolerance for sin in our lives at all. Now, again, I'm not saying perfection because I'm not here to beat you up. That's not my point. But when God talks to you, when he's pressing on you, when he's pushing on you, respond by saying, yes, Lord Jesus, 
help me. Give me strength. Just as Paul said, when I'm weak, then I'm strong in Christ. That's where he wants you. Perfect place to be in humility, <laughs> putting your arms around your Savior and saying, I can't do this alone. Perfect. That's right where I want you. Moses, that rascal, you know what he thought. He said, well, I'm next in line to Pharaoh, and I really don't want to be there, so I'm just going to get these Israelites back home where they need to be. I'm going to do it my way. Have you ever done God's work your way? doesn't work out very well, does it? In fact, it's usually short-circuited in a big, fat way. <laughs> Have you ever held two wires, a positive and negative, it's, it's a lot of voltage? What happens? Right? That's what happens when you try to do God's work your way. It doesn't work. You just get hurt. You just get hurt. Am I too animated today? Good. <laughs> I can't fix it, I guess. All right. Let's, uh, let's go to... Now, that's as far as we got last week. And you say it's taken a long time to get where we were last week. <laughs> that's okay. Here we go. Now, <clears throat> we have... Number one was... Should we write these down? Yeah. Let's write these down. So the benefits of... You can fill it in. Of abiding in Christ. One was... What was it? Salvation. Fantastic. I should do a better job of writing. And the second one was fruitfulness, right? And under that, we're going to have some subscripts. We're going to have, what did we just have? Repentance. And we just called it sin-resistant fruit. I like it. And that's, let's go to B. And what would that be? What would B be? What would be the second spiritual aspect of fruitfulness? Well, we'll find that in Galatians. Let's take your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 5. Galatians chapter 5, verse 22. We're going to find some more fruit. Galatians chapter 5. We'll start in verse 22. Now, to get this whole thing into your mind... If you want to, on your own time, start in verse 16 of chapter 5 of Galatians, and it'll fold you into this and how we're to walk in the Spirit, verse 16. But I'm just going to jump in in verse 22 right now. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance. Against such there is no law. Now, I'm going to say this much. Our world is not full of that fruit. And it's becoming like there's... No, I, don't, I don't recognize hardly any of that in the public place anymore. Do you, do you recognize any of that? And yet, those are all attributes of God. Those are all things that literally come from the manifestation of God himself. And again, let's keep in mind, where is God in all of this? Where is he at? He's in us. He's dwelling within us. So literally, all we got to do is just from within comes the manifestation of these things. I call these, now, these are not necessarily behavioral fruit. They're attitude fruit. You see, when this is the attitude behind them, your behavior is stellar. <laughs> you know what? You're not going to want to riot and break and burn things if you're full of the fruit of the Spirit. Love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. If those things are embodying an attitude behind you, guess what you don't want to do? All of the things that literally our world is tearing itself apart to do. That's an attitude fruit. And if you're abiding in Christ, I should write that up there. Benefits of. I may as well. I've got to get this right. Right? Benefits of abiding in Christ. 
I'm going to call this attitude fruit. We could always use a little more of that attitude, couldn't we? I know I could. There's some days I don't have a lot of any of that, right? But when we yield to the Spirit, we allow the Spirit to use the Word. Literally, they become manifested in us because of the very fact that Jesus Christ, the Holy Spirit, God the Father, lives within us. Let's turn to Ephesians. You're in Galatians. Turn to Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 9. Ephesians 5.9 says, For the fruit of the Spirit is in all goodness and righteousness and truth. Oh, when we have a love for goodness, that's manifested in being good to people. When we have a love for righteousness, we're honoring God. And how about, wouldn't it be a brand new thing if we could have a love for truth? A love for truth! We were talking about it in... I can't remember if it was two seekers the other night or what. But it seems like one of the things that truth is today, from anybody's perspective, because, by, by the way, I don't know how many people are in this room, but however many people there are in this room, in the society in which we find our living in America, you could have, we could have that many numbers of different truth. Because Paul's probably got his truth. And Paul's truth is good for him. Have you noticed that people that have a lot of, there's no absolute truth, there's not truth for everybody in every place for all times when it's not like that? Guess what? Their truth is for who? Themselves. Okay? So Paul's truth probably doesn't care a lot about me, especially if you're in a, in a kind of a negotiation thing going on in business. Let's say Paul's selling me a car. I can't believe I buy a car. I was going to say, let me think about that for a second. But let's just say I was. I was going to buy a car from Paul. But, but let's just say I was. Now, Paul's truth, he may, he may leave a few things out. That he knows that I probably wouldn't buy the car over, but see, it's to his advantage for him to maybe stretch the truth. Just have you heard of horse traders? Have you heard that? That term became had a, an extra added benefit package. When you said horse trader, what did you think of? You were all there. I could see it. They lied really well. Isn't it true? They wanted to get rid of the horse, and they wanted your money. That's almost what this all various kind of truth is around the world today. My, well, I have my truth, I have your, you have your, your truth. As long as we don't hurt one another, what does that mean? Truth is truth no matter what. Truth. When, when we have a love for truth. In fact, let's go to Isaiah chapter 5 for a moment. This is really where we are in this nation today. Uh, I don't know why that just popped in my mind. I hope I'm right. Um, Isaiah chapter 5. And I believe it's verse 20. We'll find out in a second. 520. Yeah, there we go. Uh, we have in our nation today where we could be called the woe, W-O-E, woe, not like woe the horse, but woe unto them, verse 20, chapter 5, that call evil good and good evil. <laughs> There's a lot of that going on today, isn't there? What a terrible place, a terrible place to be. The fruit of the Spirit. Having a love for truth, a love for righteousness, and a love for goodness. Well, let's go on to our next one. The nice thing, here's the other thing. You're saying, wow, I'm not doing very well. I must not be abiding enough. You know what? You can't ever abide too much. And you know what? The really good thing is God is so patient. He's so loving. He's so long-suffering. You see, God doesn't work on our time. Do you try to put God on your time? I have him on Larry's standard time. 
But you know what? God is really on EST, eternal standard time. And he's working all things out for our good to them that love God and are called according to his purpose. And time is something he created. He is not bound by it. I'm so glad. Aren't you glad that he's not on a 24-hour day thing? I mean, I would just like, there's some days that you say, oh, I got that so wrong today. And he says, it's okay. Just get up, follow me, trust me, have faith. Don't fear. No anxieties, no worries. Just trust me. I'm asking you, trust me. You know what? It's amazing how things get better. Eternal standard time. And you say, well, <sighs> should we, why don't you just stop right now, Larry? This isn't really working. It's okay. He's working on you one step at a time. One step at a time. Let's go to the third one. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. I don't know where I left you, but let's take your Bibles and go to, let's go to Hebrews chapter 13. Logan, why don't you just turn the clock back about an hour and a half and it'll be just right. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. Hebrews chapter 13, and let's look at verses 12. We'll start there. Hebrews 13, 12 through 15. Wherefore Jesus also, Hebrews 13, wherefore Jesus also that he might sanctify the people with his own blood, suffered without the gate. Let us go forth therefore unto him without the camp, bearing his reproach, for here have we no continuing city, but we seek one to come. By him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice of praise to God continually. That is, the fruit of our lips giving thanks to his name. Now that word thanks there, actually in the Greek, is homo, uh, homo lagao, which is a term that would mean speak the same. Tell me what worship means to you. And, and there, I'm, not, I'm not looking for a wrong or right answer, but it's interesting sometimes for us to verbalize things that we say of sense of worship. What does worship mean to you? What does praise mean to you? It's okay. I don't bite. Excuse me? Giving thanks. Okay. See, I don't know what I'm going to write there. Prayer. Worship and praise. What else? Acknowledging to God who he is. Acknowledging to God who he is. It's really quite good. Because that term thanks there, like I said, means to say or speak the same. That's what that word means right there. You see, literally worship is speaking back to God the very things we know to be true that he's revealed to us. That's what the word of God is for. The more you read your Bible, the more you understand who God is, omnipotent, omniscient, omnipresent. I mean, he's amazing. You, you can't come up with anything other than fully awesome on steroids. I mean, maxed out in, you can't get it. Infinity and beyond. And when we give that back to him, speaking truth back to him, that's worship. We're responding in a manner that we agree with what God is saying. Now, an atheist who says there is no God Oh, did you know what their national... They, have a, they actually have a celebration. There's a, there's a National uh, Atheist Day. Did you know that? It's April 1st. You can work with that. You can work with that. You can work with that. I'm going to get in a little trouble with my atheist friends probably. But it's amazing how little they can really possibly know that there is no God. See, see the proof is on them. They have to prove there isn't one. That's a lot harder than proving there is one. Would you not agree? Prove to me there is no God. 
You can't do that. You can't do that. But the interesting thing is they do prove that there is a God by the very, the very reaction. I've said it a number of times here, but it's so interesting to me. An atheist lives their life seemingly worried and concerned about what everybody else is thinking about God. Now, if there was no God, why would you spend even one second wasting your time for somebody else not to believe or believe that there's a God? Their life is just telling me loud and clear they know there's a God. Because that's what God did. He put a place within our heart, our soul, that requires to be filled by him. And until it's filled by him, there's no joy, there's no peace, there's nothing that fits that, and you chase the world around looking and looking for anything to fill that spot, and it only can be filled with one, God Almighty. God Almighty. So I call this the worship and praise fruit. What do you think of that? Not very original. So do you find yourself praising God, telling Him what the Word has spoken to you? That's fruit. That's fruit. Now, do, oh, let's go back to, you're still there in Hebrews chapter 13. Look for a moment, um, verse 15. Now, your version may have something even a little bit differently than the King James. I have Hebrews chapter 13, verse 15. It says, by Him, therefore, let us offer the sacrifice. What do you mean by Him? What did we say? Jesus lives within us. Again, just time after time after time, we see literally God indwelling that person that has trusted Christ, the one that is abiding in him. Let's go on to number four. And you say, wow, we are on a roll right now. Yes, we are. We're going to look at the fourth fruit. Fourth fruit. Let's turn to Philippians. You're in Hebrews. Turn back to Philippians for a moment. Chapter 4. Philippians 4 and verse 16. Now, again, I'm sure you all know that when Paul wrote the letter, letter to the church at Philippi, he was in prison. He had lots of needs, lots of challenges, lots of things that weren't going necessarily his way. Philippians chapter 4, let's just look at this for a moment. Verse 16, toward the very end of this letter, he says this. For even in Thessalonica you the church at Philippi, you set once and again unto my necessity. Not because I desire a gift, watch now, but I desire fruits that may abound to your account. You see, when, when you're abiding in Christ, guess what? You can't help expressing love and sacrifice to those that are in need. You just can't help it. That's who you are. That's fruit. Did you see now it wasn't, he called it a gift, but that wasn't what I was looking for. I was literally looking for the fruit that could be put on your account. Helping others in need. The fruit of giving. I would call that the love fruit. How about that? Looks like I'm going to run out of board. We'll try to get one more up here. Let's go for another one. Actually, before we do that, turn with me to Romans for a second. I want you to see uh, in Romans 5, 5, where that love comes from. This is a verse you really do need to have memorized. If you don't like memorizing or you can't or whatever, uh, circle it, underline it, 
and then you won't remember where it's at, but that's okay. You'll eventually come up. I underline that for some reason. I wonder, oh, there it is. It looks like, oh, this is perfect. Because it says in Romans 5, 5, and hope maketh not ashamed because, watch now, the love of God is shed abroad. That's like taking, uh, just for a moment, just let me indulge. It's like taking, you know, have you painted in a room? And, you know, sometimes you got to be really careful. You know, you, you know, how you, you know, especially women are really careful. I'm not, I'm kind of the big picture guy. Like I'm just, I'm going to just go to the wall. I'm going to go to the big stuff first. I got this big brush or a big roller. I'm going to go for it. Leave the details later or for someone else. And you know, in your heart, I can just see this. Literally, it's not just a brush. The Holy Spirit is taking a pail of love and going whoosh. And your heart is so spread, shed abroad with love. It changes you amazingly. It's immense. How'd you like that? I was a little animated, but you know what? That's really what it's about. The love that you have for sharing with others comes because God himself, the Holy Spirit, let's read it now. (laughs) You'll never forget what I did in that verse, verse 5. You won't remember where it's at, but you remember Larry looking like an idiot, spraying paint across the room. Because the love of God shed abroad in our hearts by the Holy Spirit, which is given unto us. Ah, is that not? huge. Now, turn with me to Romans chapter 15. Go all the way to the back of this book. Romans chapter 15. And let's look at verses 26 through 28. Romans chapter 15, verse 26. For it hath pleased them of Macedonia and Achaia to make a certain contribution for the poor saints which are at Jerusalem. It hath pleased them verily, and their debtors they are. For if the Gentiles have been made partakers of their spiritual things, their duty is also to minister unto them in carnal things. When therefore I have performed this and have sealed to them this, did you see it? Fruit, I will come by you into Spain. Again, what was the fruit? Those people in Macedonia and Achaia, they, they literally reached out with the love that was shed abroad in their hearts and said, you know what, we as Gentiles, we can't say thank you enough to you Jews for sharing Jesus with us. In fact, it was so bad, they actually set Jesus aside. You know, I'm so thankful the Jews didn't get that right because there's probably not one person in this room that maybe would be saved if the Jews hadn't just snubbed their nose at Jesus. Now, there's a time coming the Jews will say in mass, we finally see who you are. But you know what? A really wicked seven years are going to have to come. It's probably not very far away either looking at the timetable where we're at right now. It could be just a flash, just a flash. And then we'd begin that seven-year period where the Jews would see him for who he is. But in the meantime, we're living in the church age. We're living in that grace age where we can accept Christ because they rejected him. And I say thank you. And these people even recognize that back. And what did they do? The love that was shed abroad in their heart, they said, we want to give you what you need. The church of Jerusalem, the poor that was there. Where does that come? Love fruit. Love fruit. Let's look at another one. You know, I think we're only going to get through. I'm just kind of wondering. We're probably, we're going to have four more benefits left for next week. I like to have benefits stretched out, don't you? Mm-hmm. It's usually it's the other side. If you've got a, if, you know, I was, if I take a piece of paper and I have pros and cons, it's amazing how long the cons get, right? And the pros, I got one little thing there, right? This one here is so fantastic. I don't even have a cons for you when you are abiding in Christ. It's all good. Well, there might be a little persecution for a day or two, but it doesn't matter. It's, when you take that in comparison to eternity, just a brief blip in time. Okay, 
Number, what, what was that one? What did I lose? I didn't give it to you yet, did I? Oh, I got to get another one though, don't we? Yeah, you're right. Yep. Okay. So the next one we're going to find is uh, in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians chapter 14. 1 Corinthians 14. And we're going to go to verses 14 through 17. Now he's speaking about gifts and the use of them. And I want us to see something that this is important for us to see. Again, before we even go there, because your minds are already, ooh, chapter 14, that's a little challenging. Yeah, what's he going to say here? We're going to let the Bible talk about itself. But one of the things that we've got to think about, what is fruit for? If you're producing fruit, who is fruit for? For others, right? You know, that apple tree that's out here, I haven't even looked at her apple. I wonder if it's got apples on it. Because, you know, I haven't done a lot to it. I haven't really helped it. But you know what it does? It just goes on doing its thing, doesn't it? Because it's hooked up to the trunk, which is hooked up to the roots, and its DNA tells it to what? Make apples, not oranges. Because you will know the fruit. How does it say it? You will know the tree by its fruit. Jesus said that, right? Now, where was I going to go? Totally lost it. Talk about apples. Dun, dun, dun. Let's forget that thought. I, I lost it. <laughs> Went away. Oh, it seemed appropriate. It's, uh, okay, anyway. Okay, let's just move on. 1 Corinthians 14. Let's look at verses 14 through 17. Oh, no, I'm back there. Stop, stop, stop. <laughs> fruit is for others. Fruit is also, is, is, fruit for, is the fruit that you produce, is it for us? I feel like it is. That's what I always thought of those. Yeah. Okay. And, I, I have received. And you know, you know when you receive the most is when you give it away. Correct. That's the greatest feeling in the world is when, when the fruit that you have that the fruit that you have produced that others benefit from it. That's the greatest thing in the world. Now, again, I'm not saying that it's that it's harmful for you. Absolutely not. That's not what I'm saying. But fruit that you produce is for others. It's not just for me. I haven't seen that apple. I, that's where I was going to go with the apple tree. That apple tree doesn't eat its own fruit. Correct. If if you say yes, let's talk afterwards for a little bit. I'll kind of help you through that a little bit. Okay? okay? <laughs> but but what, what I'm basically saying is, yes, the health of you is incredibly exhilarating in the sense of when we're abiding in Christ, but that fruit literally is being produced in you for others. It affects the world around it. That's, that's why I believe that our world is so messed up right now is because the lack of abiding in Christ by Christians... And the lack of fruitfulness, he says, not just fruit, but much fruit and more fruit. Okay? So that's what I want to think about. Fruit is for others. As we read now, 1 Corinthians chapter 14. Let's look at verses 14 through 17. For if I pray in an unknown tongue, my spirit prayeth, but my understanding is unfruitful. What is it then? I will pray with the spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. I will sing with the spirit. I will sing with the understanding also. Else when thou shalt bless with the Spirit, how shall he that occupieth the room of the unlearned say amen at thy giving of thanks, seeing he understandeth not what thou sayest? For thou verily givest thanks well, but the other is not... I want you to mark that word. What word do you have there? In the King James, I have edifieth. What, what's another word you might have? Somebody else could have a different word there in their version you're using? 
Out of five? Anything else? Okay. Anyway, one of the things that from the fruit that we're producing, it is for others, and it literally is for the source and the course of edification. What is edification? That's a really big word. Did anyone use that word this week? Seeing none. <laughs> it's, not, it's not one of the top ten word usages, probably. You know what's not probably the top ten word usages around the country? You know why? Because edification stands really literally this. Communicating truth to others. Communicating truth to others. That's amazing, isn't it? That would be perfectly for what we need today. Communicating truth to others. Now, what does that communication look like? What would be some things that we could... How could we communicate truth? Living it? Yeah. Showing them? And that's amazing. Isn't, that's actually a really good way to show the truth fruit. That's what I call this one. You got some truth fruit going on? Do you know how long it took for me to think of these fruits? <laughs> now, by the way, I'm going to go into... I, I actually frequent the Whitehall, that little grocery store there. I go through there a lot. and I, It's easier for me to just get something than you know, Apple or whatever. It's, it's a little better than the convenience stores. I'm going to go in. I'm going to say, hey, I don't see the fruit I'm looking for today. I'm actually looking for some truth fruit and some attitude fruit. Do you have some of that? They're going to, t- Larry, are you, that won't know my name. Let me just show you the door right now, sir. <laughs> and that's the really cool thing. You can't find this. God makes this from the inside of us when we're connected to the vine. Truth fruit. Truth fruit. Edifying. Think of someone that communicates the truth to you that or has done that. To instruct, to bless, to encourage, to lift up, to set straight. And again, Ephesians chapter 4, verse 15, one of my favorite verses, is we need to learn to speak the truth. In love. <laughs> oh, that's the hard part. Sometimes we can just let truth rip. We can get that fastball and zing it right across the plate, and there's not a lot of love that went with it, right? Or sometimes you throw, here it comes. And those that can't see that, it was like throwing a really soft, softball. Right? And it's almost like it's so big and so lathered up in love you couldn't find it for the truth because there's none in there. It's one or the other. And yet, Paul was so insistent upon with telling the, the church at Ephesus, speak the truth in love. That is probably, if there's a passion that I have for America today, it's myself just speaking truth in love. Sometimes we do it through questions. Best way to get somebody to respond anymore. You know, I, I see this forcefulness, this rah, 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 and they're just barking at one another. You know, you see two dogs that are barking at one another. Who wins? Neither one. They just finally run out of air, right? And it's kind of, that's what humans are doing right now. They're just barking at one another. Rah, 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 rah. And it just goes on and on and on. You know what? When you can say, what do you think about that? See, when you ask a question, something changes. That means you want to listen. Have you seen, have you know people that don't know how to listen? They can't listen. I've actually watched, no, no, no offense, to the nationality, but I've got uh, the. Me- have you ever watched some Mexicans on phone on the phones? 
when they're actually from our guys are from here and, you know, they're calling your family. And, you know, think of that, the pent up, right? I mean, they want to talk because they don't talk very often. That's all they do is talk. There's no listening. There's no listening. They just jabber. And I'm like, well, didn't, is, is there somebody on the other end? And then I'll watch them between themselves. No, they're just talking. And there's a lot of that goes on. And again, no offense at all. But it's amazing sometimes we talk more than we're ready to receive. The biggest part of communication is listening. When I do marriage counseling, that's one of the things that we unfold and discover is literally to learn to listen is a much higher degree of communication than just speaking. In fact, the two most important things is our body language. Now, what do you do? What you, you're already on the defensive, aren't you? When that, when that body language from the other party is set up to just kind of like, right? Okay, so actually body language and listening are very much more enhanced in the sense of communication. So sometimes how we express truth, how we express truth, listen carefully, how we express truth is much more effective how it's received if we do that wrong. Now, edification is doing it right. It's looking out for the other person. That's what fruit does. Fruit is producing for others to enjoy. That's pretty magnanimous, isn't it? Did you know there is so much stuff about fruit? Only you, Larry, right? (laughs) Let's look at one more. Let's go to Philippians chapter 1. And it actually ties together. We could actually put this one another one, but I, I spaced it a little bit because there's another one we looked at earlier that makes this one reality. Philippians chapter 1. We'll start there. In verse 11. Oh, we should probably go back. Uh, let's, let, we'll start in verse 9. Philippians 1, 9. This I pray, that your love may abound yet more and more in knowledge and in all judgment, that you may approve things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ, being filled with the fruits of righteousness, which are by none other than Jesus Christ, under the glory and praise of God. Keeping that in your mind, turn with me now to Colossians chapter 1. Colossians chapter 1, verses 9 and 10. Colossians 1, 9 and 10. For this cause we also, since the day we heard it, do not cease to pray for you. This is, it's amazing. You see, Paul's, he's praying a lot, isn't he? We just popped into two, two letters and he's praying in both of them. He, this guy can't even, he can't even write a letter without praying in the letter. Isn't that cool? I'm praying, not ceasing, to desire that you might be filled with the knowledge of his will in all wisdom and spiritual understanding, that you might walk worthy of the Lord unto all pleasing, being fruitful in every good work and increasing in the knowledge of God. Now, those two verses are amazingly pregnant with meaning. But one of the things, if you notice, what was the thing back in Philippians? It was fruits of righteousness. And here we see every good, a fruitful in every good work. Do you remember, the, remember this one right here? This, this one we have on the, on our, under fruitfulness, we've got repentance, A. We've got B, what? The attitude fruit. So what did we talk about the attitude? If you have the proper attitude, you have the proper, we have the proper action or behavior, okay? 
Actually, I like action because I kind of like, like A's. You know, things fit together better. So let's do that. So we have, if you have a great attitude, you have great action. If you have a really lousy action or a lousy behavior, guess what we can probably point to? Probably a lousy attitude. But nobody's ever had a lousy attitude. So we've always had good behavior. Well, you guys are tough. You're tough. Isn't it true, though? Exactly. So if we have the attitude fruit, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, meekness, temperance, faith. Against such there's no law. If you have that working in your heart, you can't help but have the pure fruit, the good fruit, the pure good fruit. I'm just going to call it pure fruit. Goodness and righteousness and those things that just come out of you. Let's go to Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 11. And you know what? We've we got one more of the fruits to look at, and then I think we're going to have to stop, which means we only have four to cover next week. <laughs> oh, goody. Yeah, right? Don't think about that. Just take, take today. Hebrews chapter 12, and let's look at verse 11. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 11. Boy, now this is a true one. Now, no chastening for the present seems to be joyous. Just, 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 just hang on to that for a second. How many of you love to get a spanking? I don't ever remember my children just jumping up and down. Oh, Daddy, I hope you can spank me. <laughs> no, that's no way, right? And sometimes, I don't think God's children are the same way. Oh, God, I don't want a spanking right now, right? We never do, even though we know we deserve one. And you know what? Kids would, I, I did notice this. Let's just get it over with, right? Just get it over with. I know that's how I was growing up. I would just as soon get this over with. I deserve it. It needs to happen. And let's move on. But you know what happens is it actually makes us think a lot more next time if we're chasing today. What if you just let you run loose? Well, I don't have to. You can, you can fill that blank in. It's pretty obvious, isn't it? Let's keep going now. For the chastening. Now, the chastening for the present seemeth. Now, let me start over. Now, no chastening for the present seemeth to be joyous, but grievous. Nevertheless, afterward, it yieldeth the peaceable fruit of righteousness unto them which are exercised thereby. That's exactly what we're talking about. That pure good fruit comes when God has to chasten us from time to time. It comes out in good works, saying exactly the same thing. We have one more left. Let's go to John chapter 4, verse 34. John 4, 34. These are all benefits of abiding in Christ. And we've actually only looked at literally, technically, two. And the other thing I can share with you is it's permanent. That's be for next week. But John chapter 4, verse 34. Hmm. That is not the verse I'm looking for. I want to just share that with you right now. Before you go there, let's see. What did I do wrong? Okay, let's try another one. Let's go to Romans chapter 1, verse 13. I don't know what I did wrong there. Romans chapter 1, verse 13. Romans 1, 13. Now, I would not have you ignorant, brethren, that oftentimes I purposed to come unto you, but was let hitherto that I might have some fruit... Among you also, even as among other Gentiles. What's he talking about there? What kind of fruit is he talking about? Well, you're thinking about that. Turn to 2 Peter chapter 1. 2 Peter chapter 1. And let's look at verses 3 through 8. 
2 Peter chapter 1, verses 3 through 8. According as his divine power hath given unto us all things that pertain unto life and godliness, through the knowledge of him that hath called us to glory and virtue, whereby are given unto us exceeding great and precious promises, that by these you might be partakers of the divine nature, having escaped the corruption that is in the world through lust. And besides this, giving all diligence, add to your faith virtue, and to virtue, knowledge, and to knowledge, temperance, and to temperance, patience, and to patience, godliness, and to godliness, brotherly kindness, and to brotherly kindness, charity. Did you notice something again? It starts internally and moves to the external. Did you see it was the same? It starts with diligence. That's an insight trait, isn't it? And it goes through until it finally ends up in brotherly kindness and charity. For if these things be in you and abound, they make you that you shall neither be barren nor unfruitful in the knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. But he that lacketh these things is blind and cannot see afar off and hath forgotten that he was purged from his old sins. A lot of stuff going on there. As you think about to Romans chapter 1, what was Paul mentioning, the sense of fruit? He says, I was wanting to have fruit from among you. Literally bringing others to Christ. Bringing someone to Jesus Christ is some of the very best fruit that can happen. Now, where you're at in that, I don't know. Because God has some to spread seed. Some is to water. Some is to help to come aside to be with. But ultimately, when that fruit from an an unsaved person comes to abiding in Christ, that is such a monstrous fruit, it's amazing. Is it not? And we're not responsible necessarily because the Holy Spirit does the work, but we're there to do our part. Did Christ say that when he was doing miracles that, that this, that the bringing someone to his knowledge of salvation was a bigger miracle than, than the, the healing that was done? That was everything behind what Jesus did was to do that. Everything Jesus did was to bring someone to trust him. In fact, uh, let's go to uh, 1 John Chapter 5, this was written by the Apostle John. Just think of, actually, before you do that, look at, look at the common theme here. Where did I leave you? Second Peter. Let's go to John first, the Gospel of John. We've been working there, John chapter 15. Go to John chapter 20, verse 31. This is the Apostle, John the Apostle. John chapter 20, verse 31. This could actually be said to probably be the purpose, the focus, the single theme of the book of John. We'll start in verse 30, John chapter 20, verse 30. And many other signs truly did Jesus in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book, but these are written. Stop. Stop. Don't, don't read. You already read it, didn't you? You guys are nodding. Okay. Well, just, just suppose that you didn't read it. What if you were going to fill in the sentence? You know, all the stuff Jesus did, we couldn't even, I mean, we couldn't put it all in there. But these were written. Why? Well, so we could show how good Jesus was. Well, um, they were written because I wanted to tell a story. These were written. You see, look 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 what it says. You already read it. I, I know that. But these are written that you might believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that believing you might have life through his name. That is the theme song of John the Apostle. Now, turn with me back to 1 John. Same guy, Holy Spirit working in his mind, allowing him to write the Word of God. 
1 John chapter 5. Have you ever asked somebody, do you, are you saved? I don't know. Do you want to know? And then when they say, I don't know, that's where you've got to step back a couple of steps. You've got to go back and you've got to see maybe why they should want to think about being saved. But if someone doesn't know why, they're, if they're saved, this is a great verse to go to. Same guy, John the Apostle, 1 John chapter 5. Let's start in verse 11. And this is the record. This is the truth. That God hath given to us eternal life, and this life is in His Son. You see, when you get eternal life, when John chapter verse chapter 3, verse 16 says, For God so loved the world that He gave His only begotten Son, that whosoever believes in Him should not perish but have everlasting life. You see, when Christ, when you're in Christ, it's His life that makes it eternal. It doesn't become eternal because you trust in Him. You literally have life in Christ. Keep going. Here we go. Verse 12. He that hath the Son hath life. He that hath not the Son of God hath not life. That's pretty straight. Did anybody not get that verse? Look at verse 13. These things have I... Oh, did you see it? It sounds like the same guy. These things have I written unto you that believe on the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life and you may believe on the name of the Son of God. That verse, verse 13, chapter 5, 1 John is a verse that I want to have in my repertoire because you can know that you are saved because you've trusted on the name of the Son of God. That being the Messiah, the Christos, the Anointed One, the Messiah, the God with us, Emmanuel. I think we need to stop. What do you think? And everybody said amen, right? There's one thing I want to leave because we're going to probably do it again because one of the things that makes this better there's one more, isn't there? Yeah. Um, just a second. I call this one, G, bringing others to Christ, good news fruit. Good news fruit. So we have fruitfulness made of repentance fruit, or I would call it sin resistance fruit. That would be the word I had. Sin resistance fruit. We have worship and praise fruit. We have love fruit. We have truth fruit pure fruit, and good news fruit. Now, you're going to say, I don't think I have enough of any of that fruit. That's okay. No one ever has enough of any of the fruit. It's truly open-ended. God didn't say when you hit this level or this level that you're done. doesn't work like that. Did you see what he does? He continues to prune so that you have much fruit and more fruit. More than much. Nobody ever has enough. But here's the deal that I want to leave you with. Is sometimes our world makes it very complicated and hard for us to focus, a la the sign, to focus on what's really important. And this just happens when we're in the right environment. And you say, oh my goodness, the environment we find ourselves living in today, it's complicated, isn't it? Listening to the news sometimes is very depressing, isn't it? Go ahead. You can say yes. It doesn't matter. So what, do we, what can we do? How can we ward that off? Let's find the environment that we need to be involved in. Let's go to Philippians chapter 4. Philippians chapter 4. This section, again, written by a man that's in prison, has certainly has a grip on being focused. Philippians chapter 4. We're going to start in verse 6. Verse 6. 
Be careful for nothing. In other words, don't worry about a thing. But in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known unto God. And the peace of God, which passes all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Now, now those two verses, stop for a moment. Those two verses, really right now, is where Christians should be today. That's where we need, we need to really, we should be inside that bubble. You know, they talk about the bubble where all of these pro players are engaging. This is the bubble that Christians need to be into. Not worried about anything. Praying to God about everything with thanksgiving. And literally, the peace of God, which passes all understanding, will literally envelop us. That's a great bubble to be in. I want to be in that bubble. Now watch, verse 8. This is key. This one here is the one I want you to really focus on this week. I would like you to read this verse every single day this coming week. Finally, brethren. Well, when he says finally, Paul's ready. Whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, what's the word? Think on these things. That's the environment which you must be involved in to be able to be abiding in Christ and getting the full impact of fruitfulness. You have to have an environment. You know, in other words, uh, no, that's not going to work. I was just trying to, again, getting an analogy. But if the conditions are not right to bear fruit, it's not going to happen. So what are you listening to? What are you thinking about? Where are you at? What are you partaking that would askew you from being focused? That is all key components to making the benefits of abiding in Christ being even more fulfilling. Okay? We're going to keep resonating on that. Can you believe how much stuff we have by abiding in Christ? Wow. To God be the glory of great things he has done. Let's pray. Father God, thank you for the day. Thank you for John chapter 15. And again, it would have been easy, Father, for Jesus not to have spoken these words. To be caught up in, I'm going to just say this, in in, in a tense, anxious moments, just wanting literally to get to talk to you, Father. Sharing that father-son just before he's betrayed moments. But Jesus took these moments as they were walking there to that place where they prayed. The disciples fell asleep, but Jesus poured out his heart and released the anxiety, released all of the things that was pent up, the things that he knew was coming. I don't know what it would be like to know that crucifixion was coming beforehand and to have dealt in a way that he did. He said, Father, may this cup, go, may this cup pass from me, but your will be done. That's the same Jesus that shared these words of encouragement talking about to his disciples, remain in me, abide in me. Father, may we know the difference as well. The choice is ours to stay or to move away. Our safest place is where we literally are reigned on by the love of God. Thank you, Father, for showing us the abundance of fruit that Paul and the rest of the writers of the New Testament spoke of. And it's appropriate and it's pertinent to us today. We pray that our hearts would open, our lives would be full of all of the things we spoke of in Philippians chapter 4, verse 8, thinking on those things. May you surround us, Father, with your love. Hold us. 
Keep us. Protect us. And Father, thank you for the grace and mercy that you've been so open and so freely given because of what Jesus did accomplish. You could not have done that if the sacrifice had not been paid. But he did. And he proved it. And he's sitting at the right hand of God, acting as our advocate. Another benefit, Father, of having trusted Christ as Savior. Not only does God live within us, Jesus Christ is our advocate. It says in 1 John chapter 2, verse 2. Literally a defense attorney warding off the arrows of guilt and shame when we fall prey to temptation. But when we resist sin, which is a fruit, and we're faithful, you are faithful, Father, to forgive us our sins when we confess them to you, to rejoin and to regain fellowship that's been lost as the sin has thrown up a wall between you and us. Thank you, Father, for your, for, for your forgiveness that's rooted in the gift of Jesus Christ's sacrifice. This week, Father, I would ask that relationally, Father, we would continue to focus on getting closer and closer and closer to you as abiding in Christ becomes more of a reality than anything else. Thank you for what you're accomplishing in our lives one moment at a time. You're not in a hurry. You're on eternal standard time. Thank you for your forbearance and your long-suffering. Father, grow us, build us, help us. And above all, allow us to be fruitful, for you know just what to do. You are doing all things to your glory and our good. Now, these things we ask in Christ's name. Amen.